and charge us anything for it, just tell us to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You may be seated. Open your Bibles tonight to the third chapter of Exodus. I felt this was extremely important and it's been weighing heavy on my mind for a couple of weeks and because it's a, a distasteful subject in a sense to handle and you're pretty sure that you might ruffle a few feathers, you're just a little bit hesitant to do it. But when you know, when you know that God has, has placed upon you the burden and responsibility then you know that you have to just simply uh, put on your combat boots and wade in where angels fear to trot. Understand that you had a good service over the weekend. Of course, some of you wouldn't know that because you wasn't here. There'd be no way you could know that. Uh, shame on you. That's as far as that'll go. Because you missed something uh, Sunday night that the church should have heard. I was privileged to talk to Brother Green about it before the message and also a little bit afterwards, and I wholeheartedly concur with what he had to say. And so this brings to mind what we are going to talk about tonight, which is God's purpose. God's purpose. Now, we're going to start with Exodus, and I uh, one of the reasons why I was a little uh, hesitant to go this route is because to a carnal mind it would seem as if I'm, pre I'm comparing myself with Moses. But Moses is the prime example of leadership. Whoever it might be, he's a prime example of leadership. We don't have, thank God for it, three million people to deal with. It's enough to deal with 15 or 20 but uh, nevertheless, he, he is, and it's written and recorded in us because he is a prime example of God calling and placing responsibility upon an individual through no fault of his own, through no seeking of his own. Moses did not seek the job. From the very onset of all, God had a purpose and God had a man, and that man was Moses, and Moses could have... Uh, disallowed God's voice and forgot about it or he could have been sensitive to the hearing of God's word and took on that great purpose of leading the children of Israel out from under bondage. But God has a purpose. He still has. And the primary purpose of the leadership of Moses was to bring Israel out that he might bring them in. Now a lot of us forget about the bringing in part. Israel forgot about the bringing in part. But Moses was to bring them out of Egypt. you got to remember this. They were God's chosen people, but they were in the world. Egypt symbolic of the world. And uh, God was bringing them out of Egypt that he might bring them in, not just bring them out of Egypt and leave them there, but he might bring them into a promised land where promises were plentiful and... Uh, by the way, God would like us to be in the promised land. Now, that's not way over in the distant future. The promised land is not the thousand-year reign of peace, and it's not heaven. It's now. There's promises that we can attain that we ought to have, 
if we would simply follow the leadership of God into those things. They were willing, in a sense, to be led out from under the bondage of Egypt. Now, God doesn't uh, pay any attention to anybody that just whines around. He doesn't listen to that. Uh, well, I don't say he doesn't listen to it, but it was not, does not cause anything but, but the wrath of God upon them. But there was something that happened during uh, Israel's stay in Egypt. And God heard the cries of his people because of the oppression and because of the affliction. In other words, they had become tired and weary of Egypt. Just like there's individuals that's become tired and weary of the attachments of the world on them. That seems to demand continually. And some reason or other, because we're in it, somehow or other we feel like that we ought to be subject to it. But... In the third chapter of Exodus, the seventh verse, it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And then the ninth verse says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. So that was what grasp the attention of Almighty God. He was aware where his children was at, but as long as there was no effort on their part, no desire on their part, no cry from the heart, no weariness of their heart because of the taskmasters of the world, which is a real bad taskmaster, and all of us will agree with that, and because of no cry, God did nothing. But the minute cry began to be made, God began to listen. I'm going to parallel all of this with what God has called us out to do. And uh, it is the leader's responsibility to gauge the spiritual temperature of the church. And that's what I have done through prayer. And there is a need in our lives. Spiritually speaking, a need in our lives. It seems like that we have settled in the comforts and confines of wherever we might be and whatever we're supposed to be or supposed to do is off in the future someplace. And we've forgotten that our job is ever-present. Though it is future, it is present. It is something that needs to be done right now. So I don't think I would be misapplying it if I said that almost every one of us here got weary of the bondage of the world, got weary of the the hardships that carnality placed upon us where we was at, and began to cry for some way or somehow for God to deliver us from the oppression, afflictions, and bondage of the world. And God heard your cry. And when God hears a cry, then he doesn't just go down and say, follow me, folks, and I'll get you out of here. He doesn't do that. After he hears the cry, then the next thing on the agenda of God is that he calls and anoints a leader. Now, this is the way God calls and anoints a leader. He does this by preparation. He prepares 
the way of the leader and then he prepares the leader for the work that is before him. Just a little glimpse over in chapter 2 would let you know immediately verse 1, And there went a man out of the house of Levi and took a wife of the daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a godly child, she hid him three months. It had already been uh, an edict from uh, Pharaoh that every son that was born uh, would be cast into the river because the, the Israelites was gaining momentum as far as birth was concerned. And so God had a leader. He had it in his mind from a child. And you can go ahead and read the rest of that. It's not a stranger to you. And anyway, Moses was prepared by God, placed in a place where his leadership qualities could be developed. And then he prepared Moses with a visit to the burning bush. Moses had to be sensitive. Moses felt the call of his leadership a long time before he was called upon to be the leader. You'll notice that whenever he felt the call, when he saw one of the Egyptians mistreating his brother, and he felt within himself, I've got to do something about this. And so you can see in his heart there was a call on his life, and he recognized what it was, but then after it all he fled and uh, run off someplace because his brethren rejected him at the time. And then there come a time when he was faced with a burning bush, a bush that was burning and was not consumed. And there Moses got his call and got his preparation. And then God calls by identification. I'm talking about leadership. He prepares a leader. He makes them aware of the responsibility. He points out what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to go, what their goals are to reach, and all of this makes preparation for him because somebody has cried. Somebody was not satisfied with the status quo of Christianity, so to speak, quote, unquote. Somebody cried loud enough and long enough that God came down and heard their cry, and then he said, well, I'm going to have to go by the way that I always go, I'm going to prepare somebody to lead you out from there and to lead you in. And so he begins to call Moses. Then he has to be identified. Moses has to have an identity with God, first of all. And you'll find that uh, identification, I think, probably in uh, the 13th verse of the third chapter. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, what am I going to say to them? How am I going to reach them with the fact that I have saw you in a burning bush? All the stupid things to try to tell them. I have saw you in a burning bush and you have told me what my job was. Now how am I going to make them realize that you have sent me? And this is what Moses is asking God. And this is what God, uh, this is what God says. The God of your fathers has sent you. And they, no, let's, let's read it again. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And here is God identifying himself with Moses and say, You don't say anything other than I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent thee. In other words, no greater authority than there was, commissioned. Moses was commissioned. And then he says, identifying yourself with God, 
You've got to identify yourself with people. And God said, Move unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And he's told together the elders of Israel, and he makes identification with God, makes identification with the people that he is their leader. He is the one that God sent in answer to their cries for a better life in a better way and a better demonstration of power. God will do this. And then there has to be always, always, if you've never been called to be a leader, you wouldn't know that, but there always has to be a confirmation. And God is willing to give that unto us if we ask for it and this is what Moses got and we all must have that and uh, Moses had an objection to that and he said behold they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice for they will say the Lord hath not appeared unto you you see you always have that element of unbelief in individuals and sometimes it even comes from the very ones that have cried the loudest for deliverance that was not satisfied with where they were sitting, then that comes, the Lord has not appeared unto you. You never heard anything. You never saw anything, Moses. Can't believe that there'd be a bush burning and it wasn't consumed. But see, God does not deal in terms of our understanding. He expects individuals who have cried for a reason of bondage to be willing to accept what he has in his own mind and not in her own. Most of the time we have ways in which we want God to work. And the Lord said, what's in your hand? And Moses said, a rod. You know the story, cast it to the ground, it become a serpent, serpent and it fled. Moses put forth his hand, become a rod again. They may not believe this. So he says, put your hand inside, inside thy bosom. And he put his hand in the bosom and he took it out and it was leprous. Put it back in again. Confirmation after confirmation to Moses that says, you are the man. Otherwise than that, Moses could never have accepted his leadership. Neither could he have stayed with it like he did, except it was a confirmation of God that this was what he was supposed to do. And so, not only was there a confirmation, but there had to be an inspiration. He had to be inspired to be able to do this. You'll find that in the 10th verse. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my God, I am not eloquent, neither neither heretofore nor since hast thou spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. We always, I know what I'm talking about, we always have excuses that God has got somebody a little bit more intelligent, a little bit more quick-witted than we are, and uh, so we place all of these things before God just to be sure that He knows what He's doing. And to do that, then to get an inspiration from God, and here it was the inspiration that God gave to Moses. And the Lord said unto him, Who has made man's mouth? <laughs> I like that. Who has made man's mouth? In other words, do you actually know who you're talking to? Don't you know that I'm the one that formed a man out of the dust of the earth and know all about him? I made you, Moses. I made you, and though you may not be able by your own power and your own attributes and by your own knowledge to do this, you're talking to somebody that can give you what it takes to be able to do it. And so Moses had an inspiration there, and he began to do 
his work. Now, there was a contest there. Contest of freedom begins. You don't just walk up because you've cried out, because you've moaned before God, and you don't just snap your finger and you come out from under that. You don't do it. There's demands. There's work to be done. There's prayer to be offered. There's sacrifices to be done. There's a lamb to be slain. There's blood to be put on the doorpost. There's lessons to be learned on how to make preparations to get out from the world. And friend, we've been dealing with that for almost a year or better than a year of how do we get out of the world and the world out of us. How do we do this? And certainly we know that it's beyond our power. I don't have the physical abilities. I don't have the mental qualifications to be able to show you how to do this, and I know that, but God has. And God is calling upon us to listen to what the Spirit saith unto the church. Because there is a desperate need out there. And I have saw the spiritual dwindling move out from us as a church for a little while now. Now you ain't going to like this, but I have. And you're going to have to accept it because a minister or a leader is to gauge the spirituality of the people that is following him. And although it's not a good thing to do, and although you would like to have good uh, reports to give to people at all times, I don't have that for you tonight. I'm not putting you down. I'm not saying you're not Christians. I'm simply saying, spiritually speaking, we are at a lower ebb than we ought to be because God is trying to move us out from the status quo. I've heard it say, well, we're as good as any other church. That may be so, but that's not good enough. That's not what God is asking, and neither is that what you prayed for. And that's not why God gave me the vision. That's what not why God set upon me with the responsibility. That's not why He sent me here as for us to be like everybody else. There's churches galore that can pat you on the back and tickle your ears and give you what you want and you're still going to cry by reason of bondage of this world. And you need something, brother or sister, that would inspire you to be a better man, woman, boy or girl than you've ever been in your life. And if we can't reach that, if we can't reach that objective, there's lessons here. There's parallels here of of what can happen. I want to get to them as quick as I can. There was a contest. Moses was called upon to face Pharaoh, which is typical of the powers of the enemy. And his only words was, God said, let my people go. God said, let my people go. That is the responsibility of leadership. I don't know that you even need to know it. I'm not patting myself on the back. But at times and moments of prayer, in our closet, as your leaders, has been the cry, God, some way or somehow, let us face 
the powers of the enemy and challenge them to let these people go. Loose them from the bondages that hangs upon them and from the sins that does so easily beset us and from the fleshly natures and desire that continue to hang on. God, some way, might we challenge the enemy to let them go. But there has to be a desire inside of you to want to be delivered from the bondage of the corruption of this flesh. If it is not there, leadership can do very little for you. And so he begins. He made eight demands. During that eight demands, there was 12 miracles. During those 12 miracles, they were ignored. There was 10 judgments. And then there was four compromises offered by Pharaoh, sacrifice in the land. Of course, uh, you know what that is. We go, go into that. Go, but don't you go too far. Go, but leave your children. Go, but leave your cattle. And Moses... Uh, said we'll not accept any one of them. Now there's been some compromises offered to us. I'm not too sure whether we've accepted some of those or not. But I want you to notice this. When the conquest for freedom began, when everything was in place, when leadership had been called, equipped, and ready, children of Israel were simply tired of being in the world. They wanted out. I want you to notice that when this contest began, things did not get any easier. You see, you would think that when God comes on the scene and begins to work, things would immediately get easier, but they don't. A good lesson inside here, things become harder. Pharaoh looked at them and said, well, if they've got time to do this, that, and something else, then I'll double their load. I'll put more on them. Now look over your life when you decided that you was tired of the world, when you decided you wanted more than that, you cried out for it, God sent it, and from that time forward things have got harder for you and you become more weary and hard. Why is that? Because the enemy does not want you to leave where you're at. You stay where you're at. You see, a lot of us, was happy and satisfied for God to come, take the bondage from us, but don't require anything of us. And God simply does not work that way. Set in your own sealed houses, do what you want to do, keep your same old attitudes and your same old daily uh, no prayer whatsoever, your haphazard ways of serving God, and you're not going to get what God said was yours. Amen, Brother Hoskloff. You simply will not do it. But things got harder on them. And they cried no more. And finally, it was time to leave Egypt. So we're all ready to go. All these masses are ready to go. Ready to take everything that they've got. Can you imagine? Three million people ready to leave with whatever they had. Pharaoh said they could go. What a happy time. What a glorious time. And how exalted this man Moses, who was the leader, must have been in the minds of these people. He tormented Pharaoh enough that he finally said we could go. And so, with a song in their heart, gladness in their heart, they took off. But what happens at the first encounter with hardships and faced with impossibilities. What I'm saying is I am paralleling what this has been recorded for. 
that we can draw from that and let us see if perhaps we might have made similar mistakes or are making similar mistakes and see where it is going to lead us. So what happened when they got ready to cross the sea? You see, we think God ought to have had everything prepared. Maybe he should have built a bridge across the Red Sea. Or maybe he should have had a ship waiting there for them. After all, they did cry to God. They was weary and tired. They did, God did send them a leader. And he did uh, uh, get on Pharaoh's nerves so bad that he finally said they could go. And uh, finally uh, said they, they could just take their women and children and their flocks and everything else with them. And so here they go. And what a happy time that was until they come to the Red Sea. How are we going to get across that? And then they look behind them, and here is the ones that kept them in captivity coming after them again, bent on destroying them, and here they are. So what do they do? Let's turn to the Exodus, the 14th chapter. And let's see how they appreciated everything that God had done for them. They were in a bind. The Lord had hardened Pharaoh's heart, and the Egyptians was after them, and the Red Sea was before them, and Pharaoh do not, 10th verse, 14th chapter, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marching after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they didn't say, oh Lord God, you've delivered us thus far, and we're going to believe you. They didn't do that. They do uh, usually what most of us do when we're faced with the uh, between the devil and the deep blue sea when we don't see any way out of any situation when we have followed and done what God had said and then we're faced with this situation and here is what they said to the efforts of Moses and said to God and they said unto Moses because there was no graves in Egypt hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? It is, is it not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? I don't know where they got that. You see, they had to blame somebody for the situation they was in. And what better person to blame than the one that had led them out? So he said, didn't we say while we was in Egypt... It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I thought, my God, what a testimony against the proven power of God. And then I look at them and I think, that wasn't yesterday. That's today. That's happening today in individual lives where God brings us to the place where He wants our eternal trust in Him and wants us to look up and say, God, you've led me thus far and you're not going to leave me dead in the wilderness and for us to grasp hold of that. But instead, stay with me, saints, because most of us have been guilty. Instead, what is the first thing that happens in their lives? What is the first thing? that they do murmur and complain and I have finally got 
to what the Lord impressed me through no way of knowing other than the impression of God and through prayer that that is exactly what is stymieing our spiritual growth and our progress in what God wants out of us. Okay? Now you can say, huh, uh, if you want to, but I happen to know better. Not because anybody told me, but because God told me when I was feeling the temperature of the church. What is wrong? I kept wanting to say, they're weary and they're tired. I kept wanting to say that, but God kept saying, no, that's not it. That might be the cause, but they have reduced to the same thing that the children of Israel did when hardships overtook them, they began to murmur and they began to complain about what? I don't know. Little things. And if there's anything that will stymie spiritual growth, it is a complaining, murmuring bunch of people. Okay? And this is where we sit tonight. I think God is trying to say, let's get it under control. He's not trying to be mean to us. You see, He's trying to show us because if we do not overcome that one thing. You see, this murmuring, complaining at the onset of it all set a precedent that followed them all the way to Kadesh Barnea and caused them to wander 40 years in the wilderness. That one little thing. Let's look at it a little bit. At the waters of Marah, bitter. What are we going to drink? My God, they had saw the power of God. They have saw it through the hands of Moses and he stretched forth his rod. God had proved to them that he wasn't going to leave them. And they came there, and the waters were bitter. And friend, there's bitter waters in this world today. I don't care what you say. There's things that's hard to swallow, and it's bitter for us to swallow. And sometimes we say, God, what am I going to do? There isn't any water for us to drink. And so what do they do? They start murmuring and complaining. Instead of believing that God is able to sweeten the waters, hallelujah, by His Spirit and power, is able to make everything all right. They start to murmur and complain against Moses. As if... for their plight and all actuality they are the ones that cried they are the ones that prayed they are the ones that wasn't satisfied with where they were having to sit and so God says if they're that much in earnest I'll get them out of there but I've got to have somebody that will take the headship and leadership and uh, got to lead them and so he does but here again, a precedent is set. There's murmuring and complaining. Let's go to 
Exodus 16 and 2, so you'll be sure that I'm in the Bible. And uh, I, I, I probably should have spent more time on this, but they, and I may later. But this gives you some idea. And the uh, first verse, they took their journey from Edom. All the congregation of the children of Israel came in the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. 15th day of the second month. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and an Aaron in the wilderness. Now then, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, they was so turned off by those flesh pots, so depressed and oppressed that they cried out to God. And here's those same people that cried out to God for deliverance have lost sight of the bondage they were under. Did not understand now as they're faced with some things uh, to overcome on their own part. Did not trust God enough to do it. For you have brought us forth in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They was hungry. And listen to what God said. Then said the Lord God of Moses unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. God says, If you want something to eat, I'll give you something to eat. If you want some bread from heaven, I'll give you bread from heaven. And I'm not tooting my horn. I'm tooting the horn of God. You are not behind a whip behind anybody as far as the bread and anointing of our heavens comes down and we ought to be satisfied. And God said, I'll prove them. They said, this is what they wanted. I'll give it to them. But were they satisfied? Why don't we turn on over? Let's see if I can find it. Why don't we... Uh, turn on over to Numbers 11, 4 and 6. This is good. Somebody say, this is good, Brother Hoskell. <laughs> now, now say it mean it. <laughs> okay. Uh, numbers. Numbers, the 11th chapter, 4 and 6. And the mixed multitude that were among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Why can't we have part of the world? This old light bread, this spiritual manna is not enough for us. And the Bible says it had all the vitamins and minerals and whatever to give them a happy life. All of it was in there. And God said they said they wanted it. I'll give it to them. But it's not enough for us. We've got some of us to mingle a little bit of the world in with the bread and complain. God says, I'm going to prove you whether you actually want this bread from heaven or not. Do you really want the challenge of where you live and why you're living there and a challenge to do better? Do you really want that? And they said they did. So God said, here it is. And then they said, well, we would like to have a little flesh to eat. Because we remember what we ate in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, and the leek, and the onions, and the garlic. And now our soul is dried away. 
What does that point to you? That points to carnality. That is not satisfied with spiritual things. They said our soul is dried away. <laughs> there is nothing at all besides this manna, this angel's food, this bread from heaven that they cried for and wanted and said we'll be satisfied if we get it. And then it begins to demand a little belief a little putting asunder of flesh, a little, little walking on top of those things that dominated our lives, a little putting asunder of human fleshly nature and allowing God's nature to come through. Becomes a little bit rough and they said, man, hey, you know, it's all right to be religious, but that's don't go overboard. Does that ever sound familiar to you? You know, why, why that preacher don't think you can do anything? All he thinks you ought to do is get in the Word of God and live in it. Well, that's a good place to go, and that's a good place to live. But uh, they said, we don't have anything to eat but this manna. Now, you remember that God said, I'm going to prove them by their own words. Yeah. And then when I do, I'm going to judge them by their own words. Now, he wasn't just talking to the children of Israel. He's talking to us tonight. Any of us that ever made the statement that we wanted something, our soul is dried up, we want something, we want more than we're getting. And God heard the cry, He heard the prayer, and He arranged it so you could have what you said you wanted. Now, there's a little lust in there. Oh, I just don't have time to do anything get to go any place, just church, back home. It's all I get to do. I want a little flesh. I want a little bit of desires of my own. I want to fulfill what I want once in a while. Tired of giving it all to God. Tired of giving it all to that preacher. Tired of giving it all to church. And yet, by your own words, this is what you prayed about, what you sought about, what you said you wanted, what God said you could have, and what God gave to you. I'm not here to play tiddlywinks. I didn't come to do that. I didn't come to build another church. I didn't come to establish something where we could just be what we've always been. That wasn't my mission, and by the way, that wasn't yours either. And until we can fulfill the mission of God and do what God wants, we're just going to be another church. We're not going to have any more impact on a community than the churches surrounding us that we were weary and tired of what they were offering and cried for more. Now let's go on over. Let me show you something. And what happens when you ask for something that is outside of what God wants. You have progressed. You have cried for some bread and some manna to eat, some good stuff to eat. God has given it to you. Then you turn right around and you say, we want something else. Now I want to turn you over to the 31st verse of the 11th chapter of Numbers. And I want you to look how what God did. He gave them what they asked for. He knew it wasn't good for them. He knew it would kill them. He knew it would destroy them. But nothing would do them. By their own testimony, they condemned themselves. 
And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quail from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it was a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side round about the camp and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth and the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day and they gathered the quails. Be surprised how much stamina you got when it comes to fleshly things and how little you got when it comes to spiritual things. I mean, we can be just as tired as we can be when it comes to some spiritual thing, but give us a little bit of fleshly enjoyment and we recuperate right real easy. We're raw gung-ho ready to do this. And you see, they stood up all day and all night and gathered the quails. At least uh, he that gathered least uh, gathered ten omers and they spread them all abroad for themselves around the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of God was kindled against the people and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. This is what bothers me. This is what troubles me. This is what makes the parallel to that is when we begin to cry for something we have left that should have been out of our system, we walk out from under the umbrella of God and He owes us nothing whatsoever and the plagues of Egypt and the world come upon us. Whether it's oppression, depression, discouragement, sickness, or disease, whatever it is, we have dishonored God and God says you're on your own. If you can do better, then you do better. And we walk out and wonder what God has asked us to do. Somebody say that you're doing all right, Brother Hoskall. <laughs> now, after things had gone so far, Moses knew they was going to have to have some laws. Because laws has to govern people. And so God calls him away from people. And he goes up into the mountains and there... He meets God. He's there seeking God for the benefit of the people. He is denying himself of all those things, and he is in a mount with God, and he's, he's afraid. And while he's there getting the laws that would govern these people, the people look around and say, I don't know what happened to Moses. I don't know where our leader is. And so let's make us a golden calf that we might worship it. You see, here it is, murmuring, complaining, disintegration spiritually, rejecting what God has said was ours, that was food to live by, refusing to do that, eventually brings them down to idolatry. Whatever idolatry is. I realize you don't have a golden calf, but you might have a golden four-wheeler. I don't know about that. You might have a gold Cadillac. I don't know about that. But there are some things, if we are not careful, we're going to worship and fashion them with our hands and say, this is what we worship. You see, the golden calf was inserted in there to show one thing. It shows the danger of leadership submitting to the will of people. And you need to know this right off. You need to understand this right off. Whatever your will and desire is, don't mean a whole lot to me as long as God's will is opposite to that. Because I've got God to meet and so do you and I have a responsibility and you have seen it. 
You let ministers, leaders begin to cater to the will of the people and the first thing you know, you've got a golden calf. You've got an altar built and a shrine built to somebody other than God and God has been forgotten. Place back someplace, way back into the closet someplace. And those people at one time was delivered. It sickened them to watch the Egyptians worship their calf. And now all at once, because of the spiritual drain on their lives, because of the continual murmuring, nothing was ever right. They had disintegrated and become so unspiritual that they wanted to worship what they cried out to be delivered from. Parallel between us and the church, uh, us and, and, and Israel. And remember this if you don't ever want anything different, don't ask for it. God will see that you get a chance to get it. And some of us have made the break and decided to do it, and there's others sitting there dying because God said, Now, here, uh, while, while this is where it is, let me insert this. God gave us no promises outside of fulfilling His plan and His will. When He spoke to me, showed me the vision of this place, He said, this is to be a testing ground to see if they really want what they prayed for. And beyond that, He never said He would give us anything. And he began to deal with me. And I mentioned this not too long ago. And, and I put this off. But there's always the right time. And he began to deal with me. And began to show me uh, our, our spiritual lapses. And our failures. And I said, but God, uh, is this a good time? And he said, they need to understand and they need to know. But I said, well, they'll get mad at me. He said, then they'll get mad at me. And I said, but God... If this thing don't go, now listen to me, if this thing don't go, can you imagine what it's going to be to a community? And there is ever aspect, and listen to me, there is ever aspect, unless we change our direction, that it will not go. Because it will not go with us doing the same things day in and day out without any change, without listening to what God has to say, without accepting the challenge, but doing as we want to do, day in and day out, changing nothing. And then expecting just because we started a building, God will honor it. I was asking God, and I said these words, and I shared that with you, and He was talking to me about this at the time. I said, well, God, what about the building? And He said, I'm not interested in the building or your program. I'm interested in mine. What I'm trying to say is it's not a happy-go-lucky thing that we have asked for. And I'm not so sure we was prepared. And I'm not right real sure we still are. And I don't want us to sing and shout over something that's not going to happen if we don't change our direction. Now, final proof of their rejection and unbelief from however long it was, 11 months I think it was, something like that, uh, of their journey in the wilderness, 
finally God had led them out, had trouble with them all the way, gave them every chance in the world to show He loved them, that they was His people, that He wanted to give them what He said He was going to give them. And finally, finally the last final proof of their rejection and unbelief of God's pleadings and His patience and His mercy had come to an end. He was left with no other alternative. They had rejected His will for them the last time. But they were not to be led out of Egypt to wander in the wilderness. That is not what they were led for. They chose that. They had everything before them. God had led them miraculously to the edge of the promised land. And they were so unspiritually sound when they stood on the edge of the promised land because of their continual murmuring and bickering that they could not believe that God said they could have it and they turned their back and said we're not able to get it. And so God sent them into the wilderness. Numbers 14, 27, 32. We're about done. Hang with me. Numbers 14. Listen to him now. This is a loving, kind, very patient God with people that he thought really wanted something and he says how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me that's the only thing that God had against them and we count it so little that it becomes so easy for us to do and we feel like that God ought to overlook this he didn't for them and he will not for us How long shall I bear with these evil congregations which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, Moses, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ear, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. All that were numbered of you according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, but your little ones, which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. In Samuel... Israel was being judged by Samuel and by prophets and they were different from every other nation around them. And so Israel one day said, I don't like being different from all nations. I want a king. We want a king like every other nation that's around us. We want a king. God had led them by the hand of this man that never suffered anything whatsoever. And, and, and uh, Samuel uh, was displeased. 
And he prayed to God, and this is what God told him, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto you, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should reign over them. Now then, 40 years in the wilderness, Moses was dead. Joshua was commissioned to be their leader. Everything, everything that Joshua commanded was done without question. He was their leader. They recognized that God had called him, placed him in the position of Moses. And whatever Joshua told them to do, they didn't argue, they didn't question, they didn't murmur. He told them how to get across the river, told them how to conquer Jericho, and they didn't question it. They just did it. And the results was a conquest of the land, which, by the way, was given to their parents 40 years earlier. So what was the difference? Leadership? I doubt it. I don't think it was. Joshua was of a different mold, but I don't think that's what it was. I think without a doubt, it was not leadership. It was the attitude of the people. That they had saw what had happened to disobedient individuals. They had watched their parents die of plagues. And they were not the babyfied, complaining, grumbling type of people that went into the wilderness. They came out believing that they could take the promised land, that they could go into it, and this they did. They wasn't the babyfied again, murmuring, complaining people. But out of this came a believing individuals that when God said it, they marked it and said it can be done. Even Jesus himself, while he walked this earth, could help no one that was steeped in their unbelief. That was determined to do things their own way, in their own time, he could not help them. Romans 4.20, speaking of Abraham, said he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 2, And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, He was able to perform. But God's promises, again, are contingent upon His ability to make out of us what He wants. And the promises God has set before us are no different. If he can't make us, if he can't mold us, he'll turn us loose and just let us wander in our wilderness. Things of our own making. Because we refused the advice and counsel of the anointing of God from leadership. We decided our own thing to do it our way, regardless of what has been said. We'll do it our way. And all at the same time, and I'm going to say it again, we're in a spiritual slump because 
we have murmured and complained and been babyfied in areas that we ought not to be. And until this is remedied, we're at a standstill. We wonder. And we need to get a hold of ourselves and realize, hey, look, we can't play anymore. Did we really mean business? Did we really? And that's what God is asking us. There's too many needs in this world for us to play around. Too close to the end of time for us to play. Hey, look, you've got children in the world and you've got loved ones in the world and you've got neighbors and friends in the world that has got to see more than they've been able to see out of Christian lives. Even ours. So there's a lot of promises. I just read one. I underlined it. I meant to keep it. But the Lord had said that if we would, if He would told Israel if they would do what He told them to do, He would take all sickness out of their land. You've got promises out there that He said was ours if we could simply follow and do. Devils to be cast out. Demons are oppression and depression to be brought under control of the power of God. Sicknesses and diseases to be vanquished from lives and sinners. Feeling that awful stir inside of them because of a vibrant, fervent prayer of an individual that wouldn't let up. Because they had decided that there was more to this world than leeks and garlic and onions and even quail. Manna was enough for them. And friends, we're at a crossroads. You need to know this. You do know this if you admit yourself to that. You do know this. We've got us some problems. And we need to handle we need to start tonight. And we need to put all of this under control of the Spirit of God and remember, remember back when you sat so dissatisfied and so discouraged and wanted somebody to tell you the truth. And now you've got somebody to tell you the truth and you don't like it. Amen, Brother Oscar. Somebody to tell you where you live why you're there and how to get out of it and lay the axe at the root of the tree and let the chips fall where they may in spite of what you might think still out of the love of God for you and you need to start realizing where you was what made you cry what made you dissatisfied because you see what God is doing. He's finding out whether you were really dissatisfied or whether you was really wanting something different or, wanted to, or just, just wanted to be contrary or rebellious. That's what he's going to prove in our lives. Some little something didn't go right, so we just get on to pastor so. Blame him. God's trying to prove that. God's going to prove 
whether this is really why we wanted something different or we were we actually actually hurting when we tried there are those that have already proved themselves that they didn't want anything all they wanted to do was downgrade and talk and murmur and complain against leadership that's all they wanted and they get a chance to do different they haven't taken it and God is proving to, going to prove us as to whether we really have what it takes to stay in there after we got started. Shall we stand?